Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Thank you for listening to another episode of Going Commando. I'm indeed your host, Hank Rodriguez, accompanied by our co-host, Dirty Derek. How are you doing today, sir? I am, uh, I am the dirtiest I've ever been today. <laughs> Why is that? I'm just feeling super dirty today. I'm on, I'm <laughs> literally and figuratively, I mowed my lawn today and uh, kicked, uh, it was got a whole bunch of dust kicked up in me. And then, uh, and then also, uh, you know, just, um, yeah, lots of dirtiness uh, going on Ooh, in my mind today. Okay. So, all right. I'm ready. All right. Leave it, ambigu- leave it ambiguous like that. That's all I'm saying. Well, that's good. That's why you are dirty, Derek. And of course, we have Jimmy. James D. How are you doing today? Sup, sup, sup. You just—I don't know if it was me or or your internet, but something just completely cut out there. But sup, sup, sup. <laughs> it's probably mine. Um, you know, uh, living out in the boons, the internet is is kind of hit and miss. I'm, I'm still working on it. Uh, it's it's still brand new. But we digress on that, and we're gonna jump into the good stuff. What do y'all been watching? Oh man, uh, watched a lot of stuff this week. Actually, we'll say it was a, a little more, uh, a little more horror related uh, this week than action movie related. Though, uh, happy uh, Alien Day today, isn't it? Alien Day. It is Alien Day. Yes, I was going to bring that up, which is funny because originally we were supposed to talk about alien movies today, which is actually ironic. <laughs> that is super, that is super ironic. Uh, well, you know, uh, we our subject matter when we get into it, it it's going to be the works of Quentin Tarantino. So um, maybe at some point, you know, he he did say at some point he's going to do a horror movie. Maybe he'll have aliens involved, and then it will be full circle. To here's here's the thing, guys. Every, I'm sure every horror podcast and movie podcast this week is our is uh, following the trends you know, fucking being super obvious and are probably doing podcast episodes directly related to Alien Day, talk about Alien and the Aliens franchise. Guess what? Aliens. We don't do that here. We fucking, we do oh. our own thing. We fucking, okay. we're not, we're not trend followers. We do our own thing. We keep right. it fucking original. We're going to say Alien Day on tomorrow. It will be our day, Alien exactly. Day. We'll talk about Aliens tomorrow, but we'll not talk about today. Exactly. Don't push your, our, your Hallmark holiday on us, people. Okay, I'm not giving you a gift. <laughs> You're on Mark Holiday. <laughs> yeah, <20. laughs> All right. Let's see. Fuck our brigade. Oh, man. Only we're saying about Quentin Tarantino. More, more, right. more specifically, we're just going to be talking about Jack Brown today, right, guys? That's right. <laughs> Pam, Pam Greer. <laughs> no, but okay. But uh, other than it being Alien Day, anything that you watched this past week, sir? Uh, so... Weirdly enough, so James, I know we talked about the horror podcast, but I do want to say that I did finally uh, get around to watching Satanic Panic. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was it was a fun it was a fun movie, but I was like, what? What is it? The, the Cerberus, Dog of Hell, fucking the Pizza Girl, <laughs> making her pregnant, and then her, but her giving birth to the even higher level. I and the bunnies. I don't know. Yeah, the bunnies. It was a very interesting movie to say the to say the least. It was like it was like the crack. It was like the craft on bath salts. That's what it was like. <laughs> it was um, very like it, it had it, a, it had it had ch- some charm, but otherwise, I feel like it wasn't. They it, it, they didn't nail whatever they were going for, but it was all right. They did. It was funny. It was I, I laughed. I, there was a, quite a few scenes like I, I was kind of 
I tried, I laughed out loud again. Uh, Jerry O'Connell's character, like, he never seems to fare well in these movies. Um, if he's not in Piranha getting his dick eaten off, he's in this mm-hmm. movie getting his, uh, getting his fucking neck shot out and then his heart ripped out and then he becomes like some type of uh, weird alien being that is uh, sent off into the world to track down these, uh, these people. So uh, very super interesting. Um, I also wanted to ask you, and I know it's, again, not horror related, but um, there's this, <laughs> keep running into this movie, Antrim. You heard of that movie? Antrim? Yeah. It's a devil movie. It's supposed to be like, supposed to be a curse movie. It's supposed to, uh, you're supposed to die if you watch it, allegedly. Oh, wait. But it's like a new movie? No, it's like, I think it's an older movie, actually. I think it was... Antrim? Let me check. I'm gonna, gonna IMDB this. Yeah, 2018. Oh, is it 20? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, the deadliest film ever made. Yes, exactly. Yeah, um, so it's a great marketing ploy. But anyways, I didn't watch it, but I was just re. I, it kept popping up on my feed all week long, and I saw it on Amazon. Um, and I was just just wanted to get. I just had to get your thoughts on it. No, in fact, yeah, it popped up <laughs> somewhere for me, and I, I, you know, it was on like my list of hey, maybe I'll check this out. Um. I don't know if the re- actual reviews on it are any good, um, but uh, you know, again, anything that uses like heavy-handed uh, satanic imagery, like goat heads and pentagrams, I feel like I kind of have to see it <laughs> for whatever <laughs> reason. But uh, but yeah, well, I mean, we maybe uh, we should both watch it. And, uh, we should. We'll we'll talk about it in the horror podcast because exactly. it's on Prime. It's on Prime. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it just I was like, you know what, this this seems very interesting. When you have to tell me, it's a it's a deadly movie um i think that's but, uh, actually part of the plot it's like um the plot is like this movie is made in the 70s or something and um yeah it's supposed to be in the late 70s um so the synopsis is a boy and a girl enter the forest and dig a hole to hell uh said to be a curse film in the late 70s antrim examines the horrifying power of storytelling so we will we will see. I guess we'll. I guess we'll see if it truly is deadly. If I don't show up for the next podcast, guys, I'm gonna say I watch this movie and it killed me. Yeah. Well, hopefully you don't die. Uh, if it, if you do die, it probably it might be from boredom or. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it might. Um, it might. It might be. Um. um yeah. What'd you watch? It, it, uh, no. And then I I I uh, watch a lot of Quentin Tarantino stuff this week. So. Uh, and I watched I watched Dust Till Dawn, um, which I watch anyways. But uh, I just wanted to kind of recap on it because um, I like I got I got the titty twister in the background here today. Hey, so. I was gonna say yeah, I saw that because at first I was just like I thought it was just like Texas. An atmospheric shot of Austin, Texas, and then your head moved once, and I was like, oh, it's a titty twister. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I actually also watched it. In fact, I literally was just watching. Um, Jackie Brown right before I, I uh, came over to film this. Um, but yeah, I watched a ton of Tarantino. But I watched, uh, first off, signed up for the Criterion channel. Um, mm-hmm. I, I own I own a lot of my favorite films on the Criterion from the Criterion's put out, but goddamn, they have so many fucking movies. And the one thing about Criterion is you know, they only put out quality films usually um you know they may not all be your taste but you know the majority of them are um 
legitimately, you know, well-made films. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of it was just, uh, when, I, when I first signed up for it, was just kind of going through it and sort of adding things to my library. But I ended up having an impromptu uh, vampire movie film festival, but I'll save the majority of that talk for uh, Texas Podcast. But, um, and that was really fun. But um, I watched a shit ton. So I watched uh, Time Cop. I watched uh, uh, um, Hard Target, and I watched uh, Lionheart. So I had a little festival. Um, again, Lionheart, you know, movies about, like, underground fighting rings and, like, you know, where you have, like, fucking, apparently, like, hobos and the homeless have enough money to bet on underground street fights. Um, very interesting. But uh, so that was fun. Um, I watched um, uh, this. I started watching this movie. I'm now buying it. It's not even it's on. You can find the streaming on Hulu. Um, but it's a, like this like medieval fantasy film um, about these guys who uh, they need to hunt a dragon. But when they go to kill the dragon there they find the army of the dead so basically uh fucking game of thrones basically um like the cheapest low rent game of thrones um and god damn it was bad and you know like i i don't mind like low budget and stuff i can hang with that but the fucking movie was so bad like it was so cheap and poorly acted and stuff um yeah i watched the i I basically i teetered between watching shitty action films uh, vampire movies, and then I also rewatched, uh, which we'll talk about on the podcast, every episode of What We Do in the Shadows, but I'll talk about that later. Um, but so I went from watching like uh, shitty action films to vampire, arty vampire movies, and then a bunch of like uh, dramas. So interesting week for me. I, I did watch a, a terrible movie, kind of a so terrible it's it's uh, it's good, uh, called The Jurassic Games. Which is a combination of Running Man with dinosaurs in a shitty gang show atmosphere. Yeah, that sounds um, what. It, it is not even rated. That tells you uh, how potentially bad uh, it is. But uh, it was very, it's very uh, craptastic, as I would say. Um, any one of those movies, any movie that comes out these days, like direct to video, that. I feel like they're just shoehorning Jurassic Park and dinosaurs into everything these days. And they always have to use the word Jurassic, too. Like, yeah, I don't know. Of course. How else are you supposed to know that you're going to watch a movie with dinosaurs? That's right. Exactly. I mean... There's four... There's so many other uh, eras, you know, there's the the Jurassic area, the... uh, Now I'm blanking on all of them. As I say that. But there's, like, other, you know, there's other... uh, Arrows of dinosaurs that you could use instead of just using Jurassic, but you know. Oh yeah. Why why can't it be uh, Cretaceous Park? Exactly, or, exactly. Or yeah. I I have no idea. Um I, I did watch actually a lot of like science shows uh this past week too. I am watching the universe on oh, nice. Netflix. Sometimes you know I just get a kick for wanting to like learn about the outer space. I was watching the uh the episode about uh like world ending cataclysmic events weirdly enough it was like the first one that that came up and uh i was wondering about the big the big tear uh, the big tear the big tear yeah or like the big, us. The, 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 teach the us about river. the big tear so apparently the the universe is like 
it's expanding, expanding. Yep. always. Um, and eventually we're going to get basically like too fat for our pants. And uh, <laughs> the, the universe is, is going to like uh, just tear apart and then start imploding it on itself all the way in. To, and like everything will just be like basically taken apart by like down to the atom. Apparently. So there's nothing left. We deserve no, we do, we deserve nothing else, honestly. I was like, man, I'm like really like, yeah. They were showing like the Earth, the Earth will just basically like start peeling apart layer by layer, and I was like, oh, Jesus, like we're on the first layer, so that's gonna suck, like <laughs> for all of us. Um, and then like they had like near Earth collisions, like the NOAs uh, or NAOs, um, and uh, those were like the big meteors. So apparently, it's supposed to be a big meteor in uh, 2036. So we have a <laughs> there's a uh so we have some time to figure it out and to get bruce willis on board that's to, right uh to get on that rock um so Look, a, lot, Derek, a lot of interesting we're, stuff we're all gonna be dead by then anyways from drinking yeah. clorox and like putting fucking injecting, lights up our ass injecting yeah. clorox. hey right. look that is that is always where i keep my clorox wipes and that's all i'm saying it's oh my god <laughs> it's a it's the place i keep them safe from, loot, from looters <laughs> i want looters come to steal my toilet paper or my Clorox wipes. So they're going to loot like, like your prison. butt. It's like in prison. <laughs> exactly. Put him in my put him in my prison purse. <laughs> Walk around my house. Right. Your prison purse. <laughs> prison purse. <laughs> that well, I guess we know it's it this t- this uh, episode's going to be called uh, Quentin Tarantino and prison purses. <laughs> I once got so I once uh, got mad at this girl that used to hang out at the coffee shop. We all used to hang out with. I told her I was going to kick her in her pink skin pocket, oh. and uh, that, which I don't, you know, it's, I don't, uh, I don't support violence against women or, uh, but uh, you know, I was a young man and I was very uh, crass. But uh, that was a term that haunted me for the next. I'm going to knock knock the change out of God's change purse. <laughs> for you very interesting all right well i i've learned uh, a variety of new words for vaginas today so there you go. this is fantastic but yeah um, that's what we're here for honestly i appreciate that i like to keep it fresh so in my opinion so i'm a, i, I, I hope that. i hope that i hope they keep it fresh <laughs> maybe maybe by putting a clorox up in there well um, look you can never be too safe that's all i'm saying and but I will tell you that I read in the uh, the news the other day um, that apparently uh, Corona will not impact your sexual experiences. So apparently take that with a grain of, grain of salt, though I feel like this is like falls in the same news. It's like pulling out as an effective method of birth control. So just <laughs> exactly uh, just take, take cautious, with a grain of salt. Be, be cautious, people. That's all I'm saying. Like, let's not make any any Rona babies. <laughs> well, dude, again, I guarantee you. Uh, Seven eight months from now, it's gonna be a lot of Corona babies. So that's I also divorces. So I'm saying, <laughs> that's I right. can yes, and I, probably a combination of the two. It's like one a uh, really fucking it, Venn diagram. Exactly, that people that are gonna fall in the middle, probably probably after they have to home birth their children in, in at home, and then yeah, I think you are dead on right there, sir. Thank you. We're gonna see. Come back to us in uh, in the next ten months, and we'll see what the statistics say on home births babies and divorces <laughs> that's why you that's why you uh, listen to this podcast people right to hear us talk right. about uh look 
Ain't, 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 no, <laughs> fake, ain't no fake reasons. news like our fake news. That's all. That's I'm right. Saying. We uh, are the fakest of fake news. We are the fakest of the fake newses out there. We're right up with Weekly World News, but a run below uh, the Inquirer. So, <laughs> dude, I, uh, you know, I believe in any paper that uh, has articles about Bat Boy. So, hey, you know, Bat Boy is legit. And, uh, and I do legit. miss reading about Bad Boy, actually. Uh, so so uh, I, uh, one of the highlights the uh, last time I went to New York, which was a long, long, long time ago, I got to see off-Broadway Bat Boy the Musical. No. And it was a really Shut fun up. musical. Yeah, it was really good. It was a fun time. It was a good little musical. I was like, oh, the, like at the time, you know, because, you know, it was you see a live musical and, you know, it's uh, I enjoyed it. And, you know, I was like, oh, maybe this will be like like the next, like they'll make it into a movie and it'll be like, the next like underground musical and now it didn't happen. Nobody gave a shit. That would be great. I enjoyed it. I will also say that the uh, shout out the weekly world news actually saved my senior project when I was in uh, high school. I had to do a, uh, <clears throat> we had to do this like uh, booklet of like, and you could do anything with like any type of creative project you wanted to uh, about like everything we we're supposed to have read within our like senior year. I was like, you have to have a quote and you have to have a, nonfiction story and basically I, I bought a bunch of weekly world newses and I and I turned all my stories into articles about weekly world news. So Bad Boy was a featured uh part of like my Romeo and Juliet segment. It was great. Like um so Weekly World News saved the day and I got an A. So nice. appreciate so I appreciate that. See it comes in handy. It's the news. That's right. Um but speaking of the news, <laughs> uh we we came here we came here to talk about the Tarantino and uh we watched obviously a lot of Tarantino movies and yeah. we thought it would be a good time to talk about his, his body of work. Um, and I will give him also some uncredited plugs for uh, Romy and Michelle's high school reunion, which I, uh, par- I found out the other day that uh, apparently when he was dating Mina Savari or what her name is, Mira Servino, that he, <laughs> yeah. uh, who was in that movie, he, uh, he stuck in a graphic on the back of the wall for a green apple tobacco <laughs> in Romy and Michelle's. So I found the clip and I was like, God damn. Quentin, you work you know, your way into Romy's. I was actually, you just reminded me, I know he was like a, he's been like, maybe not to the degree of like Joss Whedon, but I know he's been a pretty prolific, like, script doctor. Like, he's punched in, I mean, he's, there's famous ones, uh, like um, Hunt for October or, uh, was, that, was, it, was it Clear and Present Day? I forget one. There, at one point, somebody talks about the Silver Surfer. Uh, and, and that was uh, Quentin Tarantino. That's one of his more famous ones. But apparently, he was—he's a script. He was a pretty prolific script writer, script doctor. And I was trying to see if I could find. I was going to—I was planning on seeing if, they, if I could actually find like a comprehensive list of films that he was purportedly worked on. But uh, I forgot about it until you just said that. But um, you know, obviously, you know, in the '90s uh, and then you know, very early thousands, uh, he was, you know a little more prolific than he is now because, you know, not only was he directing films, but he was also working with other directors to, you know, you know, uh, direct stories he'd written. And I think he, you know, you know, was valued as a, as a writer, but in, in the past few years, obviously he's become far more precious about what the stuff he does. But, um, you know, I don't think we'll ever see another period where you had like a true romance uh, from Dust Till Dawn, a Four Rooms. Well, not Four, I mean, he directed that segment, but I don't know. Does that really I personally like Four Rooms myself. Like, yeah, he did this segment uh, where they were uh, with the Bruce Willis segment where they were trying to cut off the pinky, right? 
Yeah, was yeah. that Bruce Willis? Why am I yeah, going was, But yes, uh, it was Bruce Willis. Yeah, he they uh, go up to the hotel room and they okay. cut off. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Tim Tim Roth and his uh, his appearance in that movie was so unassuming compared to the other roles that I've ever seen Tim Roth in. So um, yeah, it, for... you know when I saw it, I mean I was assuming it was sort of like a uh, inspired by. Uh, uh, Jerry Lewis, the you know bellhop kind of thing, but uh, yeah, very yeah. Tr- like, you know, yeah, very, very had a European flair to it. But um, that's an interesting movie, man. Yeah, really interesting. I used to I used to have a thing for uh, Alicia Dewitt, uh, Alicia Witt, the redhead. Oh, yeah. um, so I remember being excited about her being in it. But um, I saw it in the theater, and I remember being kind of woefully uh, underwhelmed. And then, like I said, it. it Rewatching it, you know, I, I I found a little bit more charming. I do think of all the 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 segments, Tarantino's sticks out the most, but it's also the most kind of, huh? You know, like seems like he wrote it like the day of the the movie, like um, because it's but but it still has its own charm. Anyway, it's, it's just a weird uh, sidetrack there, but yeah, I mean, um, I was actually in the start. Um, I was actually going to start by saying like. You know, I had one thing where I w- wanted to, to go over his, the movies that he wrote and directed and were fully his vision. But before talking about that, I was, I wanted to get your opinion on the films that, like, the, what do you think is the best of the films that he didn't direct himself, but wrote or had a hand in making? Um, uh, you know, which would be like, you know, um, Natural Born Killers, True Romance, From Dustal Dawn. Um, you know it's a good question because like i think it it's kind of for me it's a toss-up um because i really like winning pairs with robert rodriguez um mm-hmm. but I, I feel like yeah that that movie is very i think heavily like heavily robert rodriguez more than to me is a quentin tarantino yeah um true romance though it, that reminds me like i feel like that is way more of a like Tarantino film with some a lot of overlap than you would see normally, but I, I probably have to say my my personal favorite is I, I never get too tired of, of watching from dusk till dawn. So um, it just uh, it, it always cracks me up every time I watch it, and it's just one of I think it's one of those movies that it doesn't take itself too, too seriously, which is fantastic. I forget though how little Salma Hayek is in that movie. Oh yeah, um, as much as it is hyped up. I was like, man, you, you, do you remember that movie with Kurt Russell and Steven Seagal where it's like hyped up that like Steven Seagal's like in this movie, but then Dude, he, he like, dies. He dies. Oh, like, God. what is it? It's on a plane and I forget what it is. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, yes. He plays like the, like the security chief or whatever. And then yeah. he dies in the Exe- first 20 minutes. Executive, <laughs> like, decision. Yeah, like, Executive decision. Executive decision. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. And it's hyped up. And that's what it reminds me of watching that movie. I'm like, oh, Selma Hayek, you know? And then, uh, then you watch it. It's like, really, oh. really? Really funny, just a really quick story. My dad is the biggest Steven Seagal fan, like ever. I, I know it's weird. Uh, my dad, hey, my dad doesn't go to the my dad doesn't go to the movies a lot, but he wanted to go to the movies because Steven Seagal was in that movie, right? Nope. And no. so we went to, we went to go see it, and as soon as he dies, we left. <laughs> what? Yeah, he was so pissed. <laughs> it's like I'm not here for this bullshit Kurt Russell crap. 
<laughs> and really, but anyway, I, just, I, 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 I pretended like, to be offended, but I, I think I, I don't even know if I've seen that movie except for the first time, like since it came out. So. It's not, it's I, not I, I remember movie. my dad. My dad and I watched it too. He didn't leave, but he was definitely. He was definitely kind of aggravated that uh, Steven Seagal wasn't in that movie longer than it should have. And uh, I think it's when when Steven Seagal was actually more of a relevant actor. So um, yeah. people were kind of saying, like, this is going to be a really good action movie because it's like an under siege kind of situation it, on a plane. But it's like, fuck, you, the guy falls, falls out of the plane like in the wheel well. Like, well, you never see him again. So um, I think people forget Steven Seagal had basically three has had three eras of his career, which was the um, like hard to kill out for justice era when he was sort of um, uh, starting, and they're like, "Who's this fucking dude?" But then Under Siege and to a lesser degree Under Siege Two came out, and those were actually massive hits. Like people like mm-hmm. were super into those movies, and they like thought for a second he was like the legit. Because like above the law, hard to kill, uh, out for justice, mark for death, uh, which I own all of those. Um, you know, he was kind of like, uh, like who's this fucking like? Because again, up to then we were used to dudes like, you know, being like martial art action stars, being fit, handsome dudes, and then he comes out and he's kind of paunchy with a fucking squinty face and a weird ponytail. You're like, who's this nerd? And then like. You know, Under Siege came out and it was like a, a massive movie. And I think at that point, right after Under Siege 2, he was sort of becoming like, oh, he's like a legit. And then immediately, America was like, nah, no, he's not. Fuck, no, he's not. Wait, who's this Van Damme guy you speak of? Exactly. What's and then the, ty- he's a cop and he goes through time? Under Siege, what? I will say this, though. His, like, the first four movies, uh, I, I own them all and I love them all. I mean, I know I've. But, you know, he's a piece of shit human being um, uh, and also a liar. And there's actually some pretty fascinating documentaries out there um, about all of his insane claims that have been proven to be false. Um, there's actually a lot of fucking martial art frauds in the world. Um, Frank Dukes, the real Frank Dukes, who was inspired, who inspired Bloodsport, is a massive liar. I mean, there's tons. Uh is, it, is this like, um, is like martial arts, like the Tropic of Thunder? Is, is Steven Seagal like the guy, like Nick Nolte's character had hooks for a hand, but he exactly. really didn't have to have the hooks for a hand, he just pulls exactly. his arms out. He's like, I've been holding the hooks the whole exactly. time. Uh, <laughs> it's funny, I don't know how we got into, to, I mean, I, I do know how, but it's funny how, for some reason, Steven Seagal and Chuck Hummingham don't seem that far apart. In fact, I would be shocked if at some point, Quentin Tarantino would work with Steven Seagal, uh, oh kind God. of, you know, re- reignite his career. Um, no, thank you. But yeah, oh, I would say Travolta, that- you think it, well, it's so I, I have to I rather have backtrack a little bit. So talking about Quentin Tarantino, so my, my daughter had this project this week for school, and uh, she had to watch a speech on YouTube, and she had a list of like a ton of film speeches. She's going through, going through, going through, going through, going through, and comes up on uh, Pulp Fiction. The uh, Samuel Jackson Ezekiel speech, and I'm like, that's the one you have to do. <laughs> He's like, I'm like, if anything, I have not raised you right. If you don't just watch it out of principle, like, and then you need to go watch Pulp Fiction. I'm like, how do you not? I'm like, and then you need to go watch Kill Bill <laughs> and just give all these movies. And then, uh, and I was like, and by the way, you could also thank like for not that you care about John Travolta, but the only reason John Travolta even had a career is solely for the fact that Pulp Fiction brought him back from the brink of like doing jack shit. The longest time. 
I mean, and now he fell off the grid again. But um, well, I think a lot of that too is um, he is notoriously a poor. Uh, did we talk about the fucking Limp Bizkit movie? The uh, the fanatic. The, the fanatic. Did you see it? I did. We we didn't talk about it though. Dude, that movie. That was good. It was well. I mean, it was interesting. I, it was interesting. He. I mean, the thing is, Travolta's great in it as like yeah. uh, uh, whatever a crazy autistic. Uh, I don't even know what he was, but I mean, definitely. Like, I felt like, but just the fact that it was—that's the thing—is I might be biased in the fact that like I don't want to like Limp Bizkit movies. I don't want to like fucking Fred Durst directed films, uh, and the movie was weird. But it was better than I thought it was going to be. And it was definitely a, like a, a great character film. Um, I think Can I just say this? Can I say this? Hi, Glenn Danzing. Limp Bizkit made a better movie than you. That's right. That is exactly <laughs> right. You are full on. That's true. That's true. Be ashamed of yourself, Glenn. Be ashamed. He did it all for the nookie and he still made a better movie than you. <laughs> God damn, Derek. You just ruined my whole brain. <laughs> Uh, anyways, on that note, um, uh, uh, I will just say though, of all of his, uh, to get back on track, to yeah. all of Tarantino's, uh, I still think, I think True Romance is one of my favorite movies of the 90s. Uh, I think um, uh, everything about it works. I mean, all the characters are great. Patricia Arquette is amazing. Um, obviously, Gary Oldman, you know, is Drexel, the white pimp. Uh, is I, uh, literally iconic the at best. this point. Um, uh, there's so many great like I eat the I eat the but I eat every motherfucking thing. There's so many just wisdom. There's wisdom in there. That's <laughs> um, Samuel Jackson. Um, but you know, and like so much when I saw of the, the character Clarence really spoke to me. First off, I, I was working in a comic book store when that movie came out. In fact, about working in a comic book store, and uh, I don't know there's something you know like there's just something so cool about it. But beyond the Tarantino script, I think um, Tony Scott actually made a good movie. I think it's a great movie. I think it's a very well-directed film. So, um, uh, so I will say that, you know, I, I do love From Dustle Dawn, of course, but I do think of all the directors who took Tarantino's work and it definitely, you know, definitely you can tell it's not a Tarantino film, but Tony Scott made it, um, it is Tony Scott, right? Am I blanking on that? Yeah, no. Let's look it up. I, I think yes. Should be yeah. prepared. Yeah. No, I think um, you're right. I think it is. I think it is Tony Scott. I think Scott. I, yeah, I think it is too. Um, but yeah, so I will say though that like you know, it, I think it's like he did. He made a Tony Scott movie. He like he made his own movie. Um, it has his own vibe and stuff, but was very true to the feeling and the atmosphere of a. Tarantino movies, and I would definitely say um, if I were ranking all of the movies Tarantino has written, instead of just the movies which I will be ranking all of his movies he's written and directed, I would put, probably put True Romance over some of the films he's actually directed. So, anyways, uh, uh, did you do you have any particular favorites there? Any movie, any Tarantino movies that you love? You know, I, I do. There, there are a few that I, I really enjoy. Um, so, initially, I was not a huge fan of Kill Bill. Um, and not that I didn't like it. I just, uh, Uma Thurman, for me, is it, a little hair mess. Um, 
But having rewatched it a few times, I actually think Kill Bill Volume 1 and 2 probably like rank in my top five um, of Quentin Tarantino movies. I have such a fond appreciation for it. Um, it's good acting. I actually love both segments of it. Um, I'm excited to actually see they're, they're doing a third one. Um, so I just read that the other day or it's like they want to do a third one. So I'm actually like excited to like, will it be Uma Thurman's daughter and Vivica Fox's daughter? That was always like the rumors. Like she told her, Hey, you know, when they spoiler alert, when they, when she plunges a knife into Vivica Fox's chest, um, tells a little girl, like, if you feel differently, you know where I am. Come find me. me. Um, so I'm curious to see like, is that going to be the case? Um, but that's it. Um, I, I really loved uh, Inglorious Bastards. Um, and obviously Once Upon a Time in Hollywood are right up there with me as well. Um, I think probably like for two very different reasons that I like it. I think Brad Pitt actually does a stellar job in both of them. So um, it, it's a level of acting like next to like, I appreciate that I form a fight club. Um, so Aldo Reigns is <laughs> hilarious. Uh, in that movie, get them, not your scalps. <laughs> Bonjour. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, even just his laid back Hollywood 70s vibe in, in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was great as well. I think probably out of the two of them, probably Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is like, is a little bit above that. Um, I just really love the interpretation that he takes with um, just that the shared hate stuff. Like, I think you anticipate going into the movie like you all, everybody knows how Helter Skelter ended, yeah. like how Sharon Tate ended. So the fact that he, that has changed in that movie um, is, is entirely super interesting that it didn't go the, the way that you would think it was, which is what I appreciate about it because I was like, oh man, like it's been done. Because originally I thought the script was DiCaprio and Brad Pitt as cops investigating like the, like the Manson family. Uh, but I think I've kind of changed over time, like from early drafts to the final product. But I even I'm not a huge fan of Leonardo DiCaprio and just uh, his uh, version of uh, his character. Like he does a great job. Like I was great thoroughly, I was thoroughly impressed. Like, um, but those I would say those are my top. Obviously, uh, Django is great too um, in its own right. Uh, I w- it's funny like. It surprises me how much his movie is like encompassed the form of like racism and segregation and like bigotry across the board. Like, but particularly his last few works, um, you know, just solely being like, you know, um, obviously The Hateful Eight. Um, obviously, you have, you also have uh, Django, um, and you have a Glorious Bastards. Like, there's just this overarching theme. Um, which I find is is kind of interesting to me that he he does it in a way that I it's it's hard to watch sometimes. Um, the whole hateful eight scene where the, where uh, Kurt Russell's character is picking up Samuel Jackson's character um, in the stagecoach and like in the uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's character who's like the guy who's being transported like just keeps calling him the N word <laughs> and uh, yeah. it just you know it, it's it's funny uh, just to kind of watch like that, but it's also very cringeworthy as well in a lot of scenes. So it's, I think that's what makes it interesting as a filmmaker to just kind of watch that. Well, so you, you touched on a bunch of points that was, was actually interesting to talk about. Number one is, uh, I, it is weird how the, 
you know, the last few, well, I'd say three of the last four films that Tarantino's directed have become this weird sort of wish fulfillment, history rewriting, sort of revenge porn, like historical revenge porn, whether it is fucking killing Hitler, um, shooting Hitler to pieces, or, you know, uh, uh, slaves uh, revolting and and whipping their masters, and then, um, you know, Obviously, with uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and a uh, completely way, different way that the uh, the Shen Tate LaBianca murders happened. Um, so, you know, my thing is, uh, you know, he definitely has a very precarious relationship with racism um, because obviously he makes a point in his films to. Uh, obviously makes, you know, pretty grand statements on, you know, Nazis and slave owners and what have you. But he's also been pretty heavily criticized for uh, some kind of tone-deaf language and for his kind of excessive use of the N-word, um, even, you know, being said by white characters. Uh, so there's, it's a, it, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, the thing is, I he, he channels his, he has all these, like, inspirations in his brain and what he thinks is cinema cool and all these things and um, I'm not here to defend his use of the n-word or whatever um, you know um, but I will say that it is he he definitely has a very I mean there there's a lot you can unpack there as far as he him one uh, making a statement of you know um, you know uh, having you know First off, first off, he's always had actors of color in major roles. He's always, I mean, a lot of them are Sam Jackson, but I mean, uh, <laughs> he, he's always made a point of casting people of color in, in roles. Um, that's why I love Jackie Brown so much, because the fucking two stars of that movie are uh, two 70s icons that are both great actors that never get used. But I mean, having an African-American woman as your star, which again, is based off an Elmore, Elmore Leonard novel. Uh, but still, um, great, you know, he's, that's the thing is, I would actually say my two least favorite movies are actually Django Unchained and The Hateful Eight, um, because I find them both have problematic, uh, not, I mean, not, problematic's not the right word. Um, it has pacing issues or segments of the film that I don't think are as strong as the other segments of the film. They feel a little uneven. Um, with Hateful Eight, um, the first, you know, any any sequence that you said with uh, with the, uh, um, uh, or Glorious Bastards, excuse me, uh, any part with the the Bastards is great, but I feel like once it turns into, it goes to the, like, the cinema, um, I feel like it starts to lag a little bit there, um, despite great performances, and I feel like the same way with uh, Django Chain. I feel like it's a good movie, but I feel like one, I do. St- I, I feel like the biggest miscast he's done was was Jamie Fox. I think not that Jamie Fox is a bad actor, but I feel like I don't. I feel like somebody else in that role could have made it even better. But I feel like even though normally with Tarantino films, I feel like I'm in the pace. I'm like I don't ever feel it slow. I'm I'm engaged throughout the film. I, even watching Kill Bill as one full movie, I've never felt you know, like it moves at a really good pace. It's paced really well, where with uh, Django Unchained, I'm like, this movie feels long. Um, uh, uh, the one thing I will say, though, is, um, you know, he, there are a lot, a lot of people out there who hate Tarantino because of just him as a person, whether, uh, you know, it's because of his 
his persona, whether it's him as an actor, whether again, whether they feel like his, his films are kind of uh, socially irresponsible with, uh, you know, with their, how it, it, it takes, how he views race or whatever. Um, even like offhanded comments in like, uh, in Once Upon a Time in uh, Hollywood where he's like, you know, don't cry for all the Mexicans. Like, it's like he, he does things where it's like he's, I don't know if he's poking at his, you know, at his critics and at his detractors, but again, I've heard criticisms there, but at at the end of the day, as a filmmaker, he's never made a bad movie. He's literally, even his worst movies are good movies. Yeah. 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 Like, um, I would say still, I, I think once upon a time in Hollywood is currently my favorite. Um, uh, I think it's just a fucking really, I know it's just a fun movie and it, it like I love 60s and you know like aesthetically it's just a great you know uh he he's such a master of um knowing his periods like like when you go to Brad Pitt's trailer and like everything in the background from the tv guides to it's so perfect and he he builds worlds really well and then again it's just it's a great performances and a a fun ending um Well, I, I would, oh, so oh, go, no, ahead. go ahead. No, go, no, ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think the one thing that I, I think I do agree, like, I think with the language and like his use of language, like in films or like themes, like it does seem like a lot. But then at the same lines, too, when I think about like the slave era and, you know, the time period shortly after that, which would have, would have been the April 8, uh, for example, like, or even um you know in from dust till dawn or in once upon a time in hollywood too like we say in our society that that's like a lot in regards to like language but and like use of like slurring terminology but it wasn't shy back then so i mean as much as people want to kind of hate in them for like yeah. it's over or you're not going to use it like, yeah so like i feel like it, in a way it's uncomfortable to watch which and i think there is a point where kind of you kind of does to poke at his critics a little bit because he makes movies that he wants to make and I can respect that. But on the same lines too, when I was like watching The Hateful Eight, you know, I mean, yeah, it's, it's uncomfortable. I mean, you feel bad for Samuel Jackson's character. Here's a guy who like, he's a lawman. He fought, he was in the trenches. Like they dropped the N-word on every every single like two seconds on him. Uh, Bruce Dern's character, the like, you know, the crotchety old son of a bitch. Um, you know, I'm sorry. I mean, I just have the word big black dingus. Big in my head. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking of. That's that is by far the hateful eight, my favorite part of that movie. Oh, God. I made him crawl over and I made him service my mm. big black dingus in his yeah. mouth. And he did yeah. things that no man would do if they weren't freezing cold yeah. and dying. And I did not give him that blanket. Well, that and that's the thing is like, I mean, obviously, I think it started because like in Pulp Fiction. You know, it's not, which isn't a historical drama. You know, there's a liberal use of the N-word. And again, like, you know, Tarantino, as the actor who wrote it, it's like, you know, do you see a sign that says dead blank like, yeah. storage? I don't know. You know. <laughs> but uh, so, I mean, again, it's, uh, you know, um, but again, like I said, you know, he he's made a point of like that sequence in, um, uh, in the Hateful Eight, which... Uh, is you know one of the most uh, you know it's the one of the greatest greatest uh, you know film sequences of a racist getting his uh, getting you know justice and the most you know 
yeah. uh, upsetting way if you're a racist. Um, uh, so like again, it, you know, he's he he definitely again as a white forty-year-old white man. Um, I'm not trying to uh, you know. It's definitely not my place to say you know right. like I'll let I'll let people uh, you know people with more authentic voices uh, you know get into that, but. Like I said, at the end of the day, he's a great filmmaker. And again, I'm glad you brought up Hateful Eight because I think that's actually, I know for a lot of people, Hateful Eight's in their bottom of his films. And I think it's in my top three because holy shit, the characters in the dialogue in that movie, first off, Kurt Russell being fucking a bad motherfucker. Yeah. Walton Goggins, who I think is the fucking greatest yeah. living act. I fucking love Walton Goggins. Yeah. He's so good in that. And like, he is. I mean, everybody's great in that. Like Jennifer Jason Lee is yeah. like so hateable and despicable she is like i i fucking collapse like when would she in the movie and i and i think this is another thing as well that i i think he has a common theme of is like uh violence towards women yes. um in his films but the scene where she spits on samuel jackson's letter from lincoln which we spoiler alert we end up finding is not the real letter from lincoln mm -hmm. but he knocks the shit out of her like right like right out of the <laughs> the cart and takes uh, Kurt Russell right with him because yeah. they're chained together and the both of them are lying lying there it's in the stuff. snow. He's like, oh shit, <laughs> like he hits the tree. Um, and it's well, funny I mean, because every, people every time Kurt language. Russell talks her. Oh yeah, like now if I elbow you really hard in the nose <laughs> that means shut the fuck <laughs> up. Um, but it's funny, people talk about language but they actually I, I haven't heard a huge amount of grumbling about like the like excessive violence towards women in a lot of his films um and i look at like kill bill is a prime example of that and yes like i understand the bride is like it's a vengeance story but yeah man like they i mean they do a number on her and then they they you know fucking you know b blow her head off or try to try to shoot her in the head and then when she does wake up she's like two seconds away from getting a fucking raped and she has been raped already. Yeah, by yeah, numerous times. And like yeah. is getting ready to have it done again by uh by the water boy's friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so it's like, man, you know, like and then just continuing, obviously it's women kicking ass with other women. Yeah. Uh, but it's just like you, you keep going back to those scenes. Um and um, well, so it's again, very, though, very like, interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting just to see that. Yeah, and I mean the thing is like with that, you there definitely is a root. Um uh, of a lot, of, like I said, a lot of his 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 film language is based in like the seventies and in genre films and in exploitation films and all like I said, a lot of like whether it's they call me one eye or there's a lot of like female revenge stuff you know that's in those films. Um, and I mean that's the thing is that's one of the reasons I I am a fan is like obviously you know we've talked about this podcast I love kung fu films and uh, you know you can see. These, this isn't a guy who's like trying to, you know, he, this guy like genuinely loves um, the films that he sort of homages, whether it's like Hong Kong films or it's Japanese sword dramas. Um, and like all of those sequences as like a martial arts film fan, like are feel so beautifully authentic, but also, but also being its own thing. I mean, first off, Sonny Chiba just... I was just, I just rewatched it, and it's like, Sonny Chiba's a bad motherfucker, but who, who the fuck knows who he even is at this point? But if you see Sonny Chiba in a movie, he plays this sort of, he has a very specific sort of vibe 
Um, but when you first introduce him, he's like this charming, funny, affable, like sushi chef. And it's like <laughs> that whole sequence is hysterical. It was like, do you understand? Uh, like, we thought, like, the whole interactions between him and his, like, employee or whoever the fucking that bald guy is. Um, Kevin <laughs> Yeah, I'm not bald. I shave my head. Oh, do you understand? Um, I shouldn't. I shouldn't be doing that voice, but that's what he sounds like. Um, but that's the that's the wonder of him um, is the fucking and again like the whole sequence, the 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 Pi May sequence, um, dude. It's so genuinely like that's. I mean, it's so authentic, but it's again, all of the dialogue is Tarantino, so he's taking all these great, you know, influences and these great all this great material, but he's still funneling it through his own unique vision. Um, but if you look at the both Kill Bill movies, every one of them has these great fucking sequences, whether it's with, um, uh, you know, um, Sonny Chiba, Michael Parks, um, uh, you know, plays two different roles in the movie. Um, but like, you know, when he plays Esteban, that sequence is fucking, that is similar. Like, I could have watched that sequence for like two hours of just those two <laughs> characters talking and like the whole like vibe of like, you know, like the hooker with her face cut up and okay. um, just such a unique vibe. But even, I don't even know who the actor is. I was going to look him up and I'm, I'm going to be ashamed if it's somebody I should know. But um, when Michael Madsen goes to the, the titty bar that he's a bouncer at um, and like the club owner, Larry, um, the whole sequence where like, he's like, you know, basically chastising Michael Madsen and basically taking away his work shift. That he's fucking whoever that guy is, he's phenomenal. And that it, the dialogue is so great. And I'm like, it means nothing to the movie. It just basically shows you like the you know how dehumanized Michael Madsen has come from being like this badass killer to now basically being like a fucking you know mopping up shitty toilet water at a strip club. Um, but it's such a great sequence with a great actor and like phenomenal dialogue and i'm like dude this guy is you can say whatever you want about quentin tarantino but jesus christ can that guy write characters and like characters who have like maybe 10 minutes of screen time but are fully fleshed real characters mm -hmm. it's incredible anyways yeah and I, hey. I totally i'm sorry go ahead yeah just real quick while we're on the topic of martial arts um loved once upon a time in hollywood didn't like how bruce lee was made to look like a bitch Okay. That's all I'm gonna say. I have a lot of. I, okay, do you want to get? In, I'll get into this yeah. real quick. So first off, you know, I think we've talked about this podcast, or I don't know if we talked about it off podcast, but the the movie's based off of a real stuntman um, who was friends with Burt Reynolds and was like actually the the uh, the inspiration for a few other films and shit that's happened. But he's a really truly a bad motherfucker. But um, first off, I will. When that came out, I have seen, you know, again, I was a huge martial art film fan growing up. So, of course, I was a huge Bruce Lee fan. Seen a thousand different interviews with him, read a lot of articles about him. Um, people are like, oh, you're making Bruce Lee seem like a fucking cocky asshole. He was a cocky asshole. Watch one interview with him. His ego was huge. But it's because, again, at the time, they're like, he, his feeling was that uh, Asian men, or Asians in particular, but for him, it was like they were always demasculated in um, in Western culture, and he was trying to basically be a proud, strong Asian man, speak for all of Asia, not just Chinese Americans. Um, you know, and so I get it, and there's is a bit of that. But he also did read interviews with him. He talked mad shit on everybody and thought he was the biggest swing a dick. And again, he was 
He's just a guy. And that's the thing is people have mythologized. I've said before, like, oh, Bruce Lee could kick anybody's ass. There's probably some 70-year-old dude in the Himalayas fucking whip Bruce Lee's ass in a minute. Like, he was just a dude. He was an actor. And he was, I mean, he was legitimately a solid. But he was just, you know, he wasn't a superhuman. And I think Tarantino's thing with that was, you know, kind of showing, like, yeah, you have all these, like, not even using Bruce Lee specifically, but using the, the cult of personality and saying like, oh, we see these, these these on-screen personas as being like legit, like because they're famous, because they're in TV movies. Oh, they're legit. I think his point was being that like, because again, throughout the whole movie, you have, um, you know, uh, and I love both. And I, you know, he does, uh, 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 DiCaprio does a great job, but you know, Fucking Brad Pitt's the real badass, but he's the stuntman to the celebrity. I think there's a little bit of that playing in that sequence where it's like, yeah, Bruce Lee was a bad mother. And again, Bruce Lee, like, if you watch the sequences, it wasn't like he was getting fully getting his fully his ass kicked. It was kind it was kind of an even fight. But it, you know, it was saying that like, yeah, celebrity we, you think Bruce Lee is a badass because he's famous, but there are other people who aren't famous who are you know what I'm saying? So there was a little bit of that. But again, Bruce Lee is like one of those people he's almost untouchable and he's become so such an icon that like I, as soon as I heard about him I go like, oh, there's going to be backlash on that and of course there was like but a lot of people like oh it's making Bruce Lee sound like a cocky asshole I'm like he was a cocky asshole right. read w- w- one interview with him he comes off super cocky but again to a degree yeah. I totally understand but, yeah. and, and, and even if that's the case like again we're, we're having watched the movie through its entirety obviously it, it is loosely historical based right so like there are a ton of elements that are not historical based. this is i i always view like a almost like an alternate reality yeah that's what it what, is what really happened what we really would have happened so yeah I, like there are probably characters that are over under exaggerated you know a very good point the, yeah um, but yeah i mean i think there's some elements of like yes that, that's probably true and then there's elements of like no that's probably maybe maybe not an accurate depiction um but I, I will say, yeah, that's I, I think he does a, a really great job of, to your point, though, with kind of thinking back on all of his films, he really does a really great job at, like, diversifying his cast. With the exception, I would say, of Reservoir Dogs, which is which is primary, but it's also, you know, a very singly shot, like, sequence with a very limited number of people. But, like, the second you get into, you know, Four Rooms and Pulp Fiction, even, you know, even thinking back, like, back to Dust Till Dawn, even though... Um, even the characters, Matt, you're t- you're talking about, uh, you know, they're at, at a at a Mexican bar with a preacher, his Asian son, his yeah. daughter, you know, and then the Gecko Brothers, you know what I mean? Like, and then within that bar, you have, you know, uh, you have people that are Asian, black, white, like it is a, a mixed bag in that bar. I mean, yeah, Tom Savini, say we say, but his sex machine is probably one of my favorite characters with the cock gun gun i was wondering how we got that to work actually but say, it um, doesn't make any sense but it's it cool doesn't, hey you know what i know what comes out i'm like where does it come from you're like oh, just, is it inside like how does that it's a fold out like that makes, <laughs> makes me and i'm like why am i pausing this scene on i'm, I'm like, i want to see it how does it work um but yeah there, there's so many elements of diversity like across his films it, it makes it interesting to watch like you never feel like you're things are being whitewashed or like are not not representative of the world that we live in which is great and i think to your point his characters are flushed out too and and you kind of want to get backstory on them as well like 
even in Kill Bill, even 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 the, the where the uh, the big fight breaks out uh, at the end of the first chapter with uh, Lucy Liu's character, like yeah, it, and it's kind of funny. Like there's some backstory there of like some of the people that are in that like create the Crazy Eight group um, that I'm like, wow, I kind of want to learn learn more yeah. <laughs> about them. Um, there, there's more to it than that. Like, what do they end up doing with their, you know, the girl gets her arm cut off and there's, there's just a whole bunch of in there that you want to dig in a little bit deeper into their character that like, I think that's what keeps you coming back. Um, yeah. And I mean, that's the thing is he, he, you can say a lot, you know, you can definitely say a lot against him as far as like, you know, uh, not, I mean, again, I think people judge him for his smarmy kind of creepy real life persona and even get into like the foot fetish stuff which i feel like is the most the safest most innocuous of all like let him put in his little foot fetish. Yeah. it's like the least offensive fetish there is but um, right one i don't i don't f- f- fully fathom but you know to each their own but um but the thing is like he just he I know when I see I know when I see one of his movies, I'm gonna see some great performances and some really interesting characters. The thing is, I was thinking about this yesterday was that <coughs> I'm the perfect I am the perfect date. Like I saw um Pulp Fiction in the theater. I I saw Reservoir Dogs at a re-release before Pulp Fiction. Um my best friend and then Casey and my whole group of friends, um we're all film lovers, and so we were like really into that whole wave. Whether it was like you know the you know uh, Desperado or uh, um, El Mariachi, or it was uh, you know Clerks, a lot of that wave of American independent, like the second wave of because you have the seventies, but that second wave of American independent films, um, you know, we were right for that. And re- again, Tarantino was God. Like you know, there was no movie. You know, obviously, yes. Uh, Reservoir Dogs is based off of Ring of Lamp City on Fire. Ring of Lamp City on Fire is a good movie, but it's also it is what it is. It's it's a you know, when Hong Kong was having that their second wave of like films, it was like a cool crime movie. But you know, Tarantino just based the loose, you know, the the loose plot of it. It's still a Tarantino film. The characters are cool. The dialogue is really cool. All the cast is great. Um, you know, and then Pulp Fiction came out and was a fucking cultural phenomenon. But, you know, at the time, he was, like, the guy. Like, if you like movies, he was sort of, like, the cool guy. Um, at some point, he became the only fucking cool guy. Like, like, there's a bunch of guys, you know, who are my age, who are about 25, 26, stopped watching. Like, they didn't give a shit about cinema didn't really progress. They just thought, like, you know, those are the same dickheads that think fucking um, uh, uh, Boondock Saints is a good movie, which it's not. Sorry, listeners. Fuck that movie. Um, but, you know, so you had that whole, like, love in a 45. You had a whole wave of shitty-ass Tarantino wannabes. But well, the thing that people don't get is, like, it's not the cool, it's not the violence or, um, you know, what, it, what makes Tarantino a good filmmaker is that he knows dialogue. He writes really well, write, real, writes well-written, fully dimensional dialogue. And he has, he knows how to direct actors. Fucking dude is... Any single person who's has speaking line in Tarantino's movie, it's probably one of their best performances because he gets the best out of his actors. So um, I think also people say like too, Tarantino for the wrong thing sometimes. Yeah, and I also say too, like he is probably thinking off the top of my head, one of the few writers and filmmakers 
that has had success in multiple genres of film. Like, say what you want about like the, the elements in a film, it's great to watch movies that interconnect with each other. That's first and foremost. Like, that's always a favorite for me, even if it is subtle hints of like, these live in the same universe. Like, he was doing what Marvel did before Marvel did it, like, yeah. in my opinion. And to top it all off too, like he hits multiple genres. And I know that that is his, like, his goal is to really release a film and kind of across the board in, in all the genres. Like, and I know there's a few that he is yet to hit, but like, that's hard to do is to take your style and your voice and spread that across like a lot of genres that are not interconnected with each other and still create a great movie yeah. at the end of the day. And I think that's what makes him a really great filmmaker is that he has the ability, he doesn't lose his edge, he doesn't lose that tone, like he doesn't lose the character development, but he's able to kind of change that into the genre that he's working in to make it appealable to people that like that genre. So like, yeah. you know, if you're, if you like kind of the seventies exploitation, kind of like a uh, detective mystery, kind of maybe like Jackie Brown, if you want something a little more gritty, you know, kind of singly shot, more independent, you watch Reservoir Dogs. If you want a spaghetti Western, you know, then you go, uh, you know, the Django route. But yeah. um, there, there's a variety there to watch. You want Kung Fu, right? You got, you got Kill Bill or Historical, you watch Hey Flater and Glorious Bastards. You really can kind of go across your your genres and find something that is related. I mean, even, you know, I know he hasn't officially like done a horror, but I mean, he has done things like uh, Death Proof and, you know, yeah. he, he did obviously from Dust Till Dawn, um, which Death Proof, I actually really like that movie. Um, I know, when they kind of created that uh, that grindhouse like double feature with Planet Terror and um, Death Proof, like it just did not get its just you know no. desserts in there. I mean, people did not give it the time of day, um, but it was great. Um, you know, Stuntman Mike is a, is a great fucking yeah. character. Kurt Russell's amazing. I guess there, you know they said there's connections with him and the stuntman yes. that was in the uh, you know the other Once, uh, yes. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, you know, so it's kind of these cool connections, but I, I always thought that was a great movie and it's, he does always have really strong female characters, like whether they make it through the whole movie or not, like, you know, all, all his female characters are, are very strong if they're intended to be strong. And that's yeah. another, that's exactly like, I love Zoe Bell. She's, yeah. she's great. And, uh, so, you know, her, even though, uh, she's like, he's a six horse, six, six horse Jane or something like that. And in, in Hateful Eight, uh, yeah, yeah, she's I, she's great, and she's just a strong presence in a lot of her movies. So, um, yeah, that's the thing is like you know I, I I think you know he writes women like even if you think about um, uh, um, good lord, why am I blanking her name? Uh, Uma Thurman, Pulp Fiction. Um, why am I blanking her name? Anyways. Like Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction is, and first of all, she's literally the, the, uh, the poster. But she's probably of all of the characters in the movie, and they have great care. I mean, you know, uh, it's literally a movie filled with interesting characters. But I think she's probably one of the most compelling. And like the fact that you never really Mia Wallace. Mia Wallace. I was gonna say. I was gonna say like uh, Marcellus Wallace, but uh, um, I'm saying like it's just you know the he really writes three-dimensional characters and that includes his women characters. And sometimes like that, his, his, his women are his most compelling characters. Uh, I am not the biggest uh, Uma Thurman fan. Uh, she's a great actor, um, but there's something 
I think, yeah. I think when they when she's cast as a great beauty, which again in Kill Bill, like constantly mentioning how attractive she is, and I'm always like, no. Nah. But I mean, that's that's a, you know, that's just my own opinion. But but she's so unique looking, um, you know, and so she has this weird quality. And again, I think she's never been as interesting in a film as she is when she's in a Tarantino film, which again goes back to my point of how how he manages to always get great performances out of people. But he is he's definitely um like I said, he's he's one of those people that you were talking about how he, he's done movies in all different genres, but he, he generally loves movies and he doesn't he's not trying to cash in or do what's cool. Um he just and again look at the if you go back from even from Resident Evil even Pulp Fiction to Jackie Brown, you see a gigantic growth there as far as like reining himself in, telling a more straightforward story, rather as opposed to relying on all these like sort of cool gimmicks. Um, uh, you know, Jackie Brown is, is and that's a, another thing he proved is that you can also adapt a book and do it well because you know it's an Elmore Leonard novel, but he may still made it his own. He added his own characteristics to it. He added his own Tarantino vibe, so it still feels like a Tarantino movie. But again. He's like, I'm gonna, you know, adapt this very, you know, kind of straightforward. It's a weird kind of love story, and that's ultimately it is. It's, it is a, uh, it is a love, weird love story, but it's like this crime uh, thriller kind of love story. But um, that's just massive. Um, like, because again, look at, you know, his films always feel like Tarantino films, but they don't look like, you know, uh, Heath Lake doesn't look like uh, Reservoir Dogs, and that doesn't look like. Um, once upon a time in Hollywood, and you know, and that doesn't look like Kill Bill because he sort of still finds like his a way to adapt his visual language to like fit the movie he's making. But um, and, and one thing I, I will, and you know, he's a film lover, and I this is one thing I absolutely appreciate about Quentin Tarantino is there is definitely something about filming a movie on film, like, um, and he is gonna he was always been like a huge proponent of like filming or releasing things on 35 millimeter or having it on actual film when everybody was yeah. going digital, like he was donating money, like putting towards the cause and, and having grown up and worked in a movie theater for a very long time, like in my early days, like, I, I mean, I come from the time pre-digital where like things were actually like on film and you would have to like build them together and there was reels and like, and it, it really made for a very authentic experience. Like I, it's very something that's very fond to me. So like be able to go to a movie and like, you know, I understand that's all in digital now, but like I understand that there's people out there that still like hold a level of like nostalgia and, and, and preservation, like of actual film itself. Like, like on 35s. Yeah. Like I, I can appreciate that. Like, and that to me, is like, that's somebody who's, who's a film lover. And I mean, as great as things are in digital because now there's better record. So that's one thing I will say is like people should on digital, like for a lot of reasons, but one thing I'll say is you, you, with digital, like you won't have the era of lost movies like we have now where like there's movies that are just disappeared from existence because the original cuts were like dumped by the studio or there's a fire or things are lost. I mean, it's out there. Um, I mean, you have a whole bunch of other issues, um, but it is a little bit of a lost art form. So the fact that he, he does try to remain true to that and does a lot of times release a lot of his films in like digital format and at 35 millimeter quality. Like I appreciate that because I like being able to kind of go and, and watch it in a different format if I choose to. And it's always a little more grittier for me. So 
um, I, I definitely get to your point of like, he is somebody that loves film. And that's, I think, regardless of what you want to say about him personally or his style, or if you like him or not, like he is just another film lover that just has had the fortune of making movies that he really likes. Like I guess the best, but we can hope for, for anybody that wants to get into film is just to continue to do stuff and not sell out. You know? Yeah, and the thing is, like, you know, I think would people be super, like surprised because I think people think of him as being a fan of like, you know, s- sort of specific like, uh, you know, movies like Shaft and like, you know, uh, whether it's black exploitation, exploitation, sex exploitation, uh, you know, cheese like, you know, drive-in movie style stuff. The dude is a fucking film historian. He owns one of the biggest collection of 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 prints alive. I mean. But he like he loves all of them. Like he loves like the Merchant Ivory movies and fucking like he just he loves movies and like yeah he may not make like like Jane Austen you know adaptations but he has a very big breadth of films that he enjoys and I think a lot of that carries through. Um, I will say, you know, you know the whole thing of like what, what is he has two more he said he's gonna film or. Uh, yeah, like a, I think he wanted to do like a sci-fi or. Well, that's the thing is, so he, this, yeah. so he's he said he wants to do a superhero movie. He's supposed to, he was supposed to do a Star Trek movie. He wanted to do a horror movie. He wanted to do the Kill Bill, like the follow-up. So he's yeah. like, he says he's only making two movies, but he's also said a million times. Yeah. So I was like, who knows what's yeah, true? Yeah, I mean, like, like when I yeah, when I look at his like writing credits, like the things that he's working on now are like he's supposed to be working on Kill Bill three. He's supposed to be working on. The Django, Django Zorro team up from the comics, um, and then also uh, Bounty Law about yeah, Josh which... Cahill. Um, so it's like he, I, the fact that he says he's retiring and like not doing anything, like I feel like he, at best, is like somebody who does not leave like to leave incompleted lists. So I feel like if anything, he will go through and, and finish up like the genres that he, he wants to finish up. I, I think he did say that he wasn't going to do a Star Trek movie uh, eventually, though. I would have, I would have enjoyed watching it uh i think i, I would just i i like watching his stuff anyways so even if he never did a fucking jane austen period piece i would probably like watching that more than i would um and my wife would probably kill me for saying that because she's a huge jane austen fan uh as a literary yeah. person but uh, I, I would watch that any day of the week over the normal like pride and prejudice mr darcy would probably be a fucking ass kicker so <laughs> i mean at the end of the day like um you know uh like I said, he's never made a bad movie. I know some people would disagree with that, um, but I mean, legitimately, objectively, like, and, you know, he's a very confident filmmaker. Um, you know, we we may not always like understand what he's trying to say or or appreciate what he's trying to say, but as far as the merits of an actual filmmaker, as far as like the, the I mean, fucking, we didn't even talk about his meat, like his scores and his soundtracks are always incredible. Oh. And I feel like that could be a whole nother episode. Like, yeah, absolutely. About, like, scores absolutely. of Tarantino. Yeah. I love his music. As a matter of fact, when I watched Kill Bill, I went online to see if I could find, uh, find the band, uh, one, two, three, uh, fours. Uh, the, the, the one, two, three, fours. Five, five, six, seven, eight. Or five, six, seven, eight. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's okay. We were just on the opposite. I was half. like, yeah, um, exactly. And it's funny. They were that's like a one different hit, band. One yeah. hit wonders. Uh, they <laughs> yeah. only had, they only had their like one song cuckoo on there but i was like man that that song is like so catchy uh mm-hmm. i wanted to try to find like some of the stuff from the score so it, it's just interesting to kind of see i mean like like you know he, yeah i mean it, all, actually every song in kill bill is fucking dope whether it's yeah. fucking nancy sinatra or i mean 
everything is great. The one thing I will say, though, because uh, I, I have a I, feeling Tank is trying to wrap this up. Um, I will say, uh, you know, we, we could have gone, like, I we could I could have spent an hour and a half just talking about Pulp Fiction or an hour and a half talking yeah. about, uh, you know, just the Kill Bill films or whatever. Um, uh, and I think that's the thing is, like, when you come down to it, like, when all is said and done, um, he's probably in the same and I'm not even the biggest Spielberg fan. I know some people that's fucking heresy, but he will be. I mean, he is one of the rare handful of Hitchcock, uh, Scorsese, um, uh, um, uh, uh, Kubrick, and Spielberg of guys who are just like masters of American cinema. Um, and um, I think, unlike a lot of those guys, uh, I think he has a much, I think he has a more impeccable record. So. So say what you will. Um, I mean, yeah. uh, that's a fair statement. Very fair statement. So, we'll take that, Quentin Tarantino. You're, uh, you know, you're, you're ten for ten. So good, good for you. And for lovers like us, lovers of genre films, and uh, like you know, a lot of the movies we talk about on here um, aren't necessarily uh, high art or loved by uh, critics or the masses. Uh, the fact that we do have a director out there who's still sneaking a lot of those inspirations and stuff into it, uh, into his, 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 you know, huge money-making, huge critical successful films. Uh, I appreciate that too, keeping uh, genre films alive uh, and in the spotlight. There you go. So I couldn't set it better myself. Absolutely. All right. A lot to unpack, but uh, yeah. Also, we'll, we'll just keep getting better and better. So much to unpack, yeah. There is. Yeah, we will definitely come back around. I, I love, I love the... Uh, the kind of the new uh, kind of theme of, of digging into directors. I know we're going to do that with our Texas podcast master talking about the works of Wes Craven, but um, so many other good filmmakers and not so good filmmakers out there. But, uh, there's a lot to, to wrap our minds around and we'll circle back to these every now and then so we can dig into the art of filmmaking. Not just That's the, right. The films yeah. themselves. I'm just, I'm just very perplexed at the, the fact that, Jimothy an off-Broadway musical for Bat Boy, but still doesn't like repro the genetic opera. But I digress on that, and <laughs> we will close it up. And <laughs> I mean, it's Bat Boy, so I mean, that's all I'm saying. Like, I don't think you really need to sell it any more than that. Skinny puppy. Anyway. <laughs> well, one thing I'll never let go, I'm sorry. But thank you again for listening, ladies and gentlemen. It's definitely been a pleasure listening to these two guys just go off um, about, you know, the Tarantino here. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you decide to follow us if you haven't followed us already um, on Spotify. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to uh, leave us a five-star review and, and tell your friends and your family about us. Uh, but yeah, this has been Going Commando. Jimothy, since I picked on you, I'll let you close it out. Well, it was a pleasure, guys. And uh, as always, this one's for you, Keanu. I'll say, in addition, this one is also for you, bad boy. Goodbye, guys. Later. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>